Amen. Well, good morning. Come on. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, my name is Derek. I'm one of the pastors here. And this last week, I was blessed to be out at Cowboys Rest Camp with our junior hires and a whole bunch of other junior hires. And it was just an awesome week. Uh, I actually started out the week telling the kids, because, you know, kids go to camp for all different reasons, you know, to play paintball, to do the blog, because their friends are. Uh, but I told him in one of the first sessions together that God was going to move this week and, and that they should expect God to do some things in their lives. And then God totally blew my expectations out of the water. Come Thursday night where, you know, we share the gospel and then give an invitation for those to stay. And uh, the way we do it at camp is, you know, stay if you want to give your life to Christ or you want to talk or pray with somebody or rededicate. And then we released everybody to leave. And not very many people left. <laughs> and so I said, uh, uh, just so you all know, now's the time to leave unless you want to stay. It was awesome. Uh, I mean, we, had, we didn't have enough counselors with all the kids, you know, wanting to, some stand together. It was just really cool. But that kind of led me even this morning to think, when you walk in here, do you expect God to show up? Do we expect God to be here? Because he is. And do we expect him to do great things? You know, I started out that week at camp just telling the kids, expect God to do great things, and he did. Do we expect God to do great things among us? Because he, he is. I mean, just look around. We're out of space. So come tonight so we can pray about what God has for us. Um, and it's not just that we need space. It's God is moving, and God is doing some things, and we want to be part of what he's doing, and our job is just to follow him. And that's what's really great about being a Jesus follower is that's just it. We're Jesus followers. We don't have to fabricate anything. We just follow where he leads. And so that's why we're also doing this prayer journey is we want together to seek what God would have for us individually and as a church so that we can continue to follow him and see him do great things. So with that blab, let me pray. <laughs> uh, Lord Jesus, you are so good. We sing these songs to you. Uh, there is no name but your name. We love you. God, I do ask that you would show up this morning in a unique way. God, that those of us that have come in here, we have brought stuff with us. Maybe we've brought the burden of sin. Maybe we've brought depression. Maybe we've brought in financial troubles. Um, maybe, maybe we came in here and we just had a fight with our spouse or with our kids. God, we have all kinds of things going on in our lives. And I pray that right now we would be able to set that aside and meet with you. You say, be still. And know that I am God. I pray that you would still our hearts right now so that we could have an encounter with you. In Jesus' name, amen. So when I was in high school, there was, you know, in our high school, there's this wall, and it was the wall of fame. And on this wall was one student, one female and one male student from every year. It was the athlete of the year. And, and these pictures would be up there for eternity. Well, for as long as the school is going to be there. But I remember walking through, I mean, every day I'd walk down that hallway and here's all the trophies of different things and here's all these pictures. And I knew some of them. Uh, one of them worked with my dad and he had got that award in like 1971 or something like that. And so all these pictures, and I remember looking at that from freshman year on thinking it'd be cool to get up on that wall. And I didn't. But anyway, <laughs> I, I thought every time I walked past that wall, it would be so cool to be the athlete of the year, you know, and, and get up there and, and I didn't. But who cares? That's a temporary, you know, it's temporal. It's, it's just going to last a little while. And really, once you're out of high school, who cares about high school anymore? But there's another wall. There's another wall, I'd say a wall of fame, a wall of faith, that I'd love to see my picture on, love to see my name on. And you see in Hebrews 11, we're going to be there, so turn there. 
But in Hebrews 11, we see this hall of faith, as it's often called. And there's names listed. Names listed of people that have done great things for God just by faith. And that's really what this list is in Hebrews 11, is it's just a list of people who lived by faith. And I want to be on that list. Because that isn't temporal. That is for eternity. Our name goes on that list. And it's really cool. And I, I'm sure, you know, the list is not exhaustive in Hebrews 11. Even the writer of Hebrews says that. Man, if I had time, I could tell you all about these other ones, but I don't. But how many of our names are on that list? And I'm not talking about a list of just saved. You know, there's many, many of us are just saved. And there's many people who are saved and then do very little with it. I, I don't want that to be my life. I don't want that to be your life. I want us to get there. You know, and maybe leave everything. Well, we are leaving everything behind, but get to heaven and have Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. You did all that I asked you to do. And look, there's your name. There's your picture up on the wall of faith. Look at Hebrews 11. I'm excited about this series because it's real. You know, we looked last week at Abraham, which was awesome. Next week, we're looking at Joseph. And then the week after that, we're looking at David. And we're looking at very real people that had very real problems, very real struggles, uh, very real families, by the way. And as you read their stories in Scripture, you go, how did their name get up? I mean, look at the things that they did and the mistakes they made. And, and their name gets on that list. And it's encouraging because sometimes we get this, this picture of the Christian life that's here and it's, it's so far above us, we can never get there, when, when really the Christian life is just, it's just real. I mean, we're real people. You know, we struggle. We don't have to pretend that we don't. That's what I love about this church is, you know, most of us aren't pretending. Maybe some of us are. <laughs> but we're not pretending. I mean, we have real struggles, and so did they. And so we get these ideas as we look through of how to live by faith. We get these examples of real people that really did it, and then how does that apply to us? So today... I'm not going to look at anybody. I'm just going to look at some of the verses in Hebrews 11 that talk about faith itself. So we're going to kind of define faith and look at that. And then over the next couple weeks, we're going to apply those to actual people. But here's one of the questions I wanted to start with is, what are the common traits found in those whose lives please God? What are some of the common traits found among those people whose lives Please God. And why do I phrase it that way? Look at Hebrews 11, verse 6. We're going to start there. Then we're going to go backwards. It says, And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. If you need a verse to memorize, let it be this one. I memorized this verse when I was a kid. I was 16 or so. And we memorized it to a song. I'm not going to sing the song to you. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. Why is that such a big deal? Because that's what we exist for. You realize that? I mean, God made us, not because he needs us. You know, God is great in and, uh, he, by himself, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They have community. They have, he's got everything he needs. He doesn't need us, but he made us, and he made us for a purpose. The purpose is to love him. The purpose is to glorify him. It's all about him. And so when we are being who we are made to be, we're pleasing him. You know, this life of faith, this life of worship, kind of like a fish swimming, you know, it's made to swim. A bird is made to fly. When we are worshiping, when we are pleasing, it's what we're made for. And it just fits. You know, maybe you, like me, have had those times in life where you chase after worldly things. You go, maybe these things will fulfill. I'm going to try that. And they, and they fulfill kind of a little bit. 
but they're so fleeting. And then you come to Christ and you experience Him. It's like that's what fullness of joy is like. That's what it means to, to really have peace in Jesus. And that is when He is pleased. That's why it fits. That's why it feels so right. It's what we're made for. So this is in your notes, if you're a note taker. The way to live a life that pleases God is to live by faith. More on that in a minute. But let's define faith. So what is faith? Because we hear the word faith, and the word faith is often used, and sometimes faith is used just in a religious way. You know, do you have faith? Yeah, I go to such an, I go to Common Ground Church, or I go to another church, or, you know, I was raised Catholic, so my faith is Catholic. And so we can use the word just to refer to a religion or an association with a religion or a belief, or, yeah, I was raised in the church, so, so I'm a Christian, but that's not what faith actually means. Faith, I went to the expert, Google, <laughs> and Google says that faith is complete trust or confidence in something or someone. That's pretty good. Faith, complete trust or confidence in someone or something. So for the Christian, that is complete trust and confidence in God. That's what faith is. Complete trust or confidence in God. Now, notice with that definition, faith is a verb. Faith is not a noun. Faith is a verb. A lot of times we think religion is about religion, going to church, you know, or just being some. But faith is, it's actually active. Uh, last week, Preston did a great job looking at Abraham, and he drew out some facts about Abraham's faith, and it was that his faith was active. He was obedient. When he was told, go to a place I'm going to show you, and Abraham probably asked where, and God said, I'm not going to tell you yet. You just go. He said, okay. He believed God, and the Bible says he believed God, and that was credited to him as righteousness because he believed what God said. He trusted. Faith is a verb, not a noun. Look at Hebrews 11, verse 1. The writer of Hebrews is going to define faith for us. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. If you need a second verse to memorize, memorize this one. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. This is one of those verses that's great to read in other translations. Not the New Living. I like the New Living Bible, but it gets it totally wrong, so don't read that one. But a lot of the other, you, you read this because the words are interpreted differently because we don't have these words. This was written in Greek. But what is faith? That first word, faith is the assurance of, of things hoped for. That word assurance is a pretty specific word that refers to a confidence, a knowing. Uh, it actually refers to a title. So I have here a title to a trailer that actually Common Ground owns. It's the trailer that we put all our church planting stuff in, uh, and now it's used for storage. But, but this title, what does it say? It says who the owner is. And we don't owe any debt, so we own it free and clear. It says right there, common ground. Owner's name, we, we own it. Oh, the P.O. box is wrong. Anyway, <laughs> we, we own it. This word refers to this as in what we hope for, we already own. We have the title to what we hope for. So it's faith isn't this, I sure hope we're right. 
I sure hope Jesus really did die for my sins. I sure hope he rose from the dead. I hope he comes back and I hope I get to be with him. I'm going to be good until then because I hope. That's not it. It's, we hold the title of our inheritance. We hold the title. If our faith is in Jesus as Lord, we own it. No, no doubt there. I mean, we can struggle with doubts. It's not that we don't doubt at times, and that's totally okay. But we own what we hope for. Again, that word hope, a lot of times we use that word hope of, you know, I hope, I hope this happens. I hope it's not windy today again. You know, I hope it doesn't rain when we're at the lake. I mean, we, here, hope is confident assurance. So faith is confident assurance in what? In the promises of God. Our faith is in God, who he is, and the promises he's made. That's why a big part of living by faith is knowing God's word. Because in here, we see many promises from him to us. We see many things that are going to happen. Or, or here's a big one. He says, uh, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Do we believe that? That's one of those promises. So faith is believing the promises, not just head knowledge, but obeying it, living that out. Uh, Preston gave the example of the, the tightrope walker who went uh, Niagara Falls. Yeah, Niagara Falls. And he went back and forth. And then at one point he turns to the crowd and says, hey, do you think I can do it with a wheelbarrow? Yeah, he does it with a wheelbarrow. Then he comes back and says, hey, do you think I could do it with a person in the wheelbarrow? They're, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm like, all right, who's getting in the wheelbarrow? <laughs> you know, faith isn't believing that he could. Faith is getting in the wheelbarrow. So our faith is active, it's a verb again, it's this confidence that what God says is true. Here's a couple of those. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. There's a promise right there. Here's what God did in God's love. Do we believe that? Faith tells us this is true. I have eternal life because of what Jesus did for me on the cross. John 14.3. Here Jesus is speaking to his disciples because he is about to leave and go away. You know, he's going to die, rise from the dead, and then he's going to ascend into heaven. And his disciples are worried. They're concerned. They say, where are you going? We want to go where you're going. And he says this. And if I go, because I'm going, and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. There's another great promise of God. And this promise comes to us as well, that he has gone to prepare a place for us. And this was written before he went to the cross. And so in context, he was saying, I'm going to prepare basically the way for you by dying for your sins. And when I go to prepare this place, and it says elsewhere, you know, there's many rooms in his mansion. And, and so, you know, kind of the picture a lot of times with kids is that Jesus is there actually adding on. You know, he was a carpenter, so he's, he's put more rooms on this mansion. So every time somebody comes to know him, he's got to go build another room. There's plenty of rooms that there we will be also. And again, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Faith is active confidence that God's promises are true. Active confidence that God's promises are true. Now, here's the thing. We can believe these things head, you know, in, in our mind. But faith is when they, they move from the head to the heart. Faith means when, when life happens and we have peace and life is still happening, when those horrible situations or relationships are happening and we have peace in the midst of that, that's faith because we're trusting God and his promises. Look back at 11.1. Now faith 
is the assurance or the title of possession of those things that we hope for. The conviction of things not seen. That word conviction, that's probably the best translation, you know, as I looked at all the other ones of conviction, but the word conviction there, it, it really means proof. It's a, it's a proof of something. And so our faith is a proof of what is true. It's a proof of what is unseen. The spiritual reality is largely invisible, isn't it? I mean, there's a lot of things invisible, but they're real. You know, we think, right? We have a mind. You can't see the mind. You know, we have ideas. You can't see them, but they're, they're real. But even more than that, there are angels, and they're here, and we can't see them. There are demons around. They're invisible. God is invisible. We cannot see him, but yet we believe that he's true. Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. Raise your hand if you saw that. We weren't there. But we believe that it happened. We are confident that it happened. We can't see it. But our faith proves it, it, it's worked out. That's, again, this is a verb. It's the proof worked out in our lives that we believe these things are true. We're confident that these things are true. Have you ever witnessed the death of a saint? Somebody who really loved the Lord and passed on. Those people, at the end, there's peace. There's actually excitement in what God is going to do. Not fear, not fear of what's to come. Somebody living by faith that also then dies by faith, they're dying in anticipation of what is coming. Now, there's some sorrow there for those you're leaving behind, you know, how much they're going to miss you or whatever, and, and that's, that's a real sorrow. But there's not a fear of what's to come because our confidence is in Christ. This week at camp, you know, I, I, had, I said, who here is afraid of judgment? You know, and some, some people raise their hands. Who here is not afraid of judgment? And Elise, who's our youngest daughter, and she's actually getting baptized today, she leaned over to my wife, Callie. She said, I'm not scared because my sins are forgiven. I mean, I mean, it was just like, like, duh. <laughs> Jesus died for me. My sins are forgiven. Why would I be afraid? You know, out of the mouth of a child, that's faith, confidence in him. And again, why is this faith so important? Verse 6, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, and he is the rewarder of those who seek him. So we see an example of faith here in what's not, not seen. It says here, we must believe that he exists. Flip back to verse 3. It says, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So part of faith, he jumps right to creation. I mean, this is big for today. You think the Bible's relevant? It's relevant. I mean, what's one of those? I mean, we basically have two big worldviews. One would be a, a Christian worldview, a biblical worldview, you know, that there is a God. And then the other side is the, the worldview of evolution. You know, and it started quite a while ago, but it's, it's continuing to grow in that there is no God. God didn't create, therefore we're all an accident. We just evolved to get here. And you see the, the results of that worldview. You know, why do you think abortion is as high as it is in this country and around the world? If there's no God, we can do whatever we want. So part of faith is believing that God created, not through evolution, but through a word. Read Genesis chapter 1. God spoke and everything was created. He made the animals, he, you know. Then finally he made man and he breathed life into man after he created them out of dust. We believe these things, although we cannot see them. Doing religion without really trusting God does not please God. 
That's one of the great themes of the Old Testament as you look through the prophets. Over and over, the Israelites, and by the way, I could say this from my time as a Christian, often Christians do the same thing and Christian churches do the same thing. They just do religion. And, and so the prophets would come and say, hey, you guys are sacrificing. You're doing some prayers, but you're not living by faith. You're not pleasing God. Stop sacrificing. We saw that in Malachi. God says, your sacrifices are abhorrent to me. You're doing religion and you're doing it, I mean, legalistically, but I don't want it. I don't want your religion. I want you. I want your heart. I want you to love me. Life lived on religion without faith doesn't please God. It's a waste. You know, we recently had a, a long series, four weeks, looking at stewardship. And we ended it by saying, you know, if you're giving to God begrudgingly, you know, or grumpily, or you don't really, you're just doing it, don't. That doesn't please God. And God doesn't need your stuff anyway. God owns it all. God wants us by faith to give generously because we believe he's providing everything for us. You see how faith has, is part of all aspects of life. Martin Luther says this, God our Father has made all things depend on faith so that whoever has faith will have everything. Whoever does not have faith will have nothing. Here, here's the other thing that sometimes I've heard Christians say. You know, they'll want to do something or they'll, they'll pursue this. I'm just going to go by faith. Faith is in God's promises, what God tells us to do. So somebody goes out and they buy a car they can't afford. It's like, well, how are you going to afford that? I just have faith. Well, that was dumb. <laughs> you know, we do dumb things and hope that God will have our back and we just have faith. No, faith is in what God has told us to do. And scripture's full of things he's told us to do. And we can do those. But then there's also times where we believe God is telling us what to do. And that's a sermon for another day. How do you hear from God? But God may have some unique things for you to do that you better do them. You better walk in faith. I want to look forward a little bit because I want to draw out another characteristic of those who live by faith. Look at verse 13 through 16. After going through a list, and he's going to go through more of a list, the writer of Hebrews is, after going through a list, he says this, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. This follows the story of Abraham who left his country, who left his home to go to the promised land. When he got to the promised land, he didn't own it. He settled there. He lived in tents and they kind of moved around, but, but he didn't really own it. He was a stranger in that land. He was an alien in that land and always was his whole life. But right here, the writer of Hebrews kind of takes that comparison and takes it to now. And what characteristic do we see of Abraham and all of those, all these others who live by faith? They have a heavenly perspective. They have a heavenly perspective. The faithful Jesus follower lives with an eternal perspective. That we are strangers and aliens. Look at verse 26. We see this same concept again uh, after talking about Moses or in the midst of talking about Moses. Referring to Moses, it says, 
he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Now, you know, Moses, he led the Israelites out of Egypt and he wandered in a wilderness. Does that sound like a great thing to do for 40 years? And then he died without going into the promised land. But why? Because he was looking forward to a greater reward. The faithful Jesus follower lives with an eternal perspective. And what were they looking forward to? It says here, a reward, a city. Here's what's coming later. Revelation 12. I'm sorry, Revelation 21. Here, John, the apostle John, uh, one of Jesus' best friends, one of the, probably the last disciple to remain alive, he got a vision from Jesus of what was to come, and he wrote this down. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will, no, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Leave that up if you would. This is to come. We don't hope, amen, yes. We don't hope this is going to happen. We are confident this is going to happen. Why? Because God promised it. Jesus said this was going to happen. How does, I mean, how do we know we can believe Jesus? He rose from the dead. Jesus said he was going to rise from the dead and he rose from the dead. Jesus ascended and he said, I'm going to come back. He's going to come back and following that. And we can argue about, you know, all the details of the end and, you know, what comes before what and all that. But ultimately, this is what it's going to be a city on a new heaven and a new earth. Again, I talked about that this week and, and that was a lot of fun, but heaven, there's going to be this uniting of heaven and earth Revelation talks about. And so God's dwelling and earth are going to combine. Not this earth. This earth is going to be burned up because we ruined it. Um, <laughs> sin, it's true. This world is corrupted by sin. So this earth is going to get burned up, but he's going to make a new one. A new heaven and a new earth. Basically, it, it's, it's God and us colliding, and there's going to be a place. There's going to be a city. I mean, just read Revelation, the descriptions. It's going to be awesome. I don't know all the details, but there's going to be a river there. And there's going to be the tree of life that Adam and Eve used to eat from, and they're not allowed to. And, and it's on both sides of the river, and it has, it's always ripe fruit, and it's like 12 different kinds. It's going to be awesome. So we're going to be hanging out in that tree, eating fruit, jumping in the river, hanging out with Jesus. I, I mean, eternity is going to be great. It's not going to be sitting on clouds, strumming a harp. I guess if that's something you like to do, maybe you'll be allowed to do that. But the greatest thing is we're going to be with Jesus. We're going to be with him. The sin that is in us now, you know, this draw that we have away from God, that's going to be gone. We're going to have real bodies, but not ones like these that decay, not ones that the, like these that are drawn to sin and will be in the presence of God. It's going to be amazing. So this is one of my favorite illustrations. I saw it when I was in college, and it really stuck out to me. My goodness, this is a long rope. Hmm. Would you do me a favor? Would, would you take, take the end of that? Oh, 
There you go. And walk over there somewhere. Keep going. Ah, turn the corner. Jason, put up your hand. Grab that rope. Keep going. Uh, keep going. Caitlin, put out your hand. Grab that. I guess turn the corner again. Don't go to the bathroom. <laughs> okay. Oh, we're almost there. Look at this rope. This is, every illustration falls short, but this is eternity. Forever and ever and ever. So all this white, this is us in the presence of God forever and ever. This is us with the other saints, with one another, doing all kinds of things. I don't know exactly what, but I believe we're going to continue to learn. We're going to build. There's going to be adventures. It's going to be great in the presence of God. Eternity. See this little green part right here? This is earth. I better go over here. <laughs> this is earth. Creation to when Jesus returns. Look at that compared to eternity. I mean, look at eternity. This, this is earth. Now, what about your life and mine? You see that little red line right there? This little bloop. <laughs> That's our life. In the span of earth, it's just, just this tiny little line. Look at the span of eternity. That's your life right here. But what we do here determines where we will be for eternity. It will also determine the rewards. But what we do here, if we live lives of faith, this is what we have to look forward to. So we live with an eternal perspective. I know this life seems long. I know this life seems hard. But let's look forward. Look forward to eternity. Thank you, Lydia. You can uh, just bring it back up here, I guess. But we live with an eternal perspective because eternity is a really, really long time. And here's the other aspect. The faithful Jesus follower anticipates eternal rewards. Wow, eternity is really going to be in the way. <laughs> the faithful Jesus follower anticipates eternal rewards. Look at verse 6 again. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Remember Moses, what was he looking forward to? A reward. Now this sounds selfish, but this is the case. We are promised rewards. Matthew 6, 19 to 21 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But Jesus was very clearly talking about eternal rewards. We will get rewards for our deeds done by faith in this life. Now, as we look at this list, this list in Hebrews 11, these people did some crazy things. Noah, Noah built this giant boat, bigger than anybody had ever seen before, and uh, he wasn't near water. <laughs> I mean, just picture that. And it took him 100 years or more to, to build this boat. And his sons, I mean, imagine generation after generation, you know, like some kid walking by. What's going on there? And grandpa's like, yeah, when I was a kid, he was working on that same boat. What's he doing? He's crazy. <laughs> I mean, imagine that. It, it took him forever. Now, imagine Sarah. Remember Sarah? Last week we looked at Abraham and Sarah. Sarah, who was almost 100 years old, and she's walking around going, I'm going to have a son. What do, you, what do you think people are going to say to that? Cuckoo. <laughs> right? Living by faith is a little bit crazy. It really is. People that walk in faith do crazy things. Here's a question for you. 
What crazy thing is God asking you to do? Think about that. What crazy thing is God asking you to do? Maybe it's the things laid out in Scripture. Maybe it's to be a a generous and sacrificial giver. Maybe it's to share your faith with somebody you don't really want to share your faith with. What crazy thing is he asking you to do? Maybe you know of a family in need and you're supposed to give them your car. Maybe. What crazy thing is God asking you to do? Maybe it's to quit your job and go into ministry. Maybe it's to join our next mission trip to Africa. What is it? What is God asking you to do? Because I'll tell you this, he's not asking us to just come to church and be bored. He's asking us to do great things for him. What is it? What is it? Now, I want to finish real quick by looking at the results of faith. Because you would think that we live by faith and everything's always perfect. Look with me, if you would, at verse 32. 11:32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness because of mighty, uh, became mighty in war, put armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection. Awesome. Live by faith. These are results. Conquer kingdoms. People brought back to life. If only the list ended there. Look on. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Here's the thing. A life lived in faith doesn't guarantee earthly success. It doesn't. And there is a great heresy out there right now among Christian churches that as long as you have enough faith, everything's going to be good for you. Are you lacking money? You need greater faith to get more money. Are you unhealthy? You have cancer? Guess what? That's because your faith isn't strong enough. And I've seen this carried out. Yeah, I hear some, uh, <laughs> yes, it's horrible because it, it, it then is laid on us. Here's the fact. Look at scripture. A life lived by faith will result in suffering, most likely, will result in, in, in persecution. Who, I don't know exactly what's coming, but it's going to get worse and worse for Christians as time goes on. We will suffer for our faith. But are we okay with that? Here's the thing. What about these people? Look at uh, verse 38. It says, speaking of these people, of whom the world was not worthy. Again, you kind of have this idea running throughout that we're, we're aliens. This isn't our home. Have you ever traveled and you spent some time somewhere else? And when you're in that other country, you really don't care much about that country. I mean, so I lived in Russia for a couple years, and when I was there, I was still American. You know, I mean, the Russian political system could do what it could do, and it's kind of like, whatever, this isn't my home. You know, but things happening in the States, I care about what's happening there. 
But really, here on earth, our citizenship, yeah, we're Americans, but we're, we're not. Our citizenship is in heaven. So all the ups and downs of this, this world and the things, you know, uh, all the political stuff going on, really, we can kind of hold all that lightly. Whatever. We're just passing through. Our home is in heaven. The one who pleases God lives in faithful obedience and is content letting God decide the results in this life. We believe all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. That means for eternity. We may suffer in this life. We may be killed in this life. Some were sawn in two. Some were stoned. But the one who pleases God lives in faithful obedience and is content letting God decide the results in this life because we already know the end of the story. We win. God wins. Jesus said it is finished on the cross. His sacrifice for, for our sins means that when we place our faith in Him, as Romans, the book of Romans says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We can trust Him completely. Here's a good example of faith. The following letter was found in a baking powder can wired to the handle of an old pump that offered the only hope of drinking water on a very long and seldom used trail across Nevada's Amargosa Desert. So that's down near... Uh, what is that place? Death Valley. Death Valley. That's it. Yeah. Down by Death Valley. And so here's this note. It says, this pump is all right as of June 1932. I put a new sucker washer into it and it ought to last five years. But the washer dries out and the pump has got to be primed. Under the white rock, I buried a bottle of water out of the sun and cork end up. There's enough water in it to prime the pump, but not if you drink some first. Pour about one fourth and let her soak to wet the leather. Then pour in the rest, medium fast and pump like crazy. You'll get water. The well has never run dry. Have faith. When you get watered up, fill the bottle and put it back where you found it for the next feller. Signed, Desert Pete. P.S. Don't go drinking the water first. Prime the pump. And you'll get as much as you can hold. <laughs> That's kind of the idea. I mean, imagine that situation and you read that. It's like, okay, we'll get more water if we use this or we just drink what's here. That's life by faith. Again, we're looking forward to what we're going to get at the end, the rewards, the presence with him. And because of those promises, we can endure everything here. Here's our application. Hebrews 12, 1. After this whole list, he writes, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight, and every sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We're going to have some baptisms. If you have a kid you need to go get, go get your kid. We're moving into this time of, of celebrating faith. Because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, we can have life in him. And one of the first things we're told to do when we place our faith in Jesus as Lord is to get baptized. Here's what's so exciting. This baptism, it, it's a sign of new life. When we dunk him, we're going to say, died with Christ, buried with Christ, raised to walk in newness of life. Because it's this picture of, of us, we're dead. Scripture makes it very clear, before Christ, we're dead spiritually dead, destined for eternity apart from God and hell because we deserve it. 
The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death. So we've all sinned. We've earned death, which is physical death, but also eternal death in hell. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, his son. If we by faith trust that Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, and then we place our faith in him as Lord, meaning we repent, we turn from the world, we turn toward him, not perfect. I mean, any perfect people here? Any perfect Christians? No? Oh, one? <laughs> no, we're not perfect, but everything changes. We now come alive spiritually. We want to glorify God. We want to do what he wants. We want to love what he loves. And baptism is the first sign of obedience because we're told to do it. Baptism is a symbol. It's a sign to the rest of the body. I believe in Jesus. I want him to be my Lord. Baptism is also a sign to the person being baptized. It's a picture of being washed from sin. Now, you're washed because of Jesus' blood on the cross, not because of the water. So you can, you can not get baptized, and you're still saved by Jesus on the cross. But if you've placed your faith in him and you're not getting baptized, there's an obedience issue there, and that's something to talk about. So we're going to do some baptisms. Come up if you're getting baptized. Who do we got here? I'm turning this mic on. All right, let's see. Do we have us all? One, two, three, four, five, six. All right, we're all here. Now, I told you guys you don't have to talk, but I do want your name. Just tell us your name. Mindy. Nitsa. Nitsa. Rylan. Rylan. Chloe. Chloe. Elise. Elise. Hannah. Hannah. All right. Would any of you like to share w about why you want to get baptized? Nobody has to. <laughs> Rylan, why do you want to get baptized?